1: on everybody it's your boy 5 star showtime and this is the 5 star show if you're hearing me you're hearing me on soundcloud stitcher itunes and the 5starshow.com what's going on everybody it is episode 41 on november 6th 2019 And boy, do we have a good episode for you. And I desperately needed it because last episode did not do so well. I tried my best. There wasn't a lot that interests me. So I tried to kind of make a topic that I like, but you guys don't into something that you would like. Well, it turns out you didn't love it. You know, I'm sorry to the eight of you that listened to it, which means I'm sorry to myself five times because I liked the show, but it's my show. So this week, it's going to be better because we're not going to spend an hour on WWE business. No, instead, we're going to spend about an hour and 40 minutes all across the sporting world because there was so much shit that happened, including in the National Football League. There is only one remaining unbeaten team, and it's the team we all predicted, right? In college, my Florida State Seminoles finally fucking fired Willie Taggart, but goddamn, is it expensive, and I'm glad I didn't have to pay for it. I'm glad he's gone, but that's one expensive bill to pay somebody not to work. Then we move over to a little bit of boxing and UFC. Canelo got a historic win, but boxing took an L and bowed down to the UFC. UFC. College basketball is here. That means either probably Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, or Michigan State will probably win the title, because that's all I know, and that's our preview every year. The NBA is looking like Groundhog Day, because it's already time to start looking forward to the draft. And then we will hit some WWE at the end, because they did a blood money show in Saudi Arabia, and then either... Depending on who you believe, their plane messed up or the Saudi government got pissed. All that plus George Foreman, Popeye's chicken sandwiches, my high school football team, Nashville soccer club, and don't forget to stick around until the end because... Right through my miscellaneous section, talking about George Foreman. I should have cut it down like 10 minutes, but I got excited because I like talking boxing. I fucking spill a beer all over my $1,500 laptop because I was trying to throw a pin at the missus who was snoring into my microphone. Also, my daughter does my intro. And a very special shout out at the very, very end to my latest fantasy football victim. This is episode 41. Let's get it started. And we will begin episode 41 with the National Football League. Although I hope to not spend much time on this because the NFL has some good notes, but not a lot that I want to dive into and it's late and the show's already running long. So let's hit the let's play the hits here. The New England Patriots suffered their first loss against the Baltimore Ravens it turns out Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback why people are so hesitant to admit that he's good they want to qualify it maybe it's because you know he's black and he runs fast and people still can't think you know don't think that he can throw well you know you're gonna have to quit that because he's good don't matter what color don't matter how fast or slow Stop being so hesitant to praise him, media people. Okay, if it was Andrew Luck, you'd be slurping his nuts. But anyways, they beat the Patriots. The Ravens have now won four straight games. Prior to this four-game winning streak, the Ravens lost to the Cleveland fucking Browns. Speaking of the Cleveland fucking Browns, they, remember them, they were supposed to be good. They... Had a decent little year last year. Baker Mayfield looked great. They added a bunch of weapons, including Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, and they already had a decent defense. Hell, Cleveland might be a sneaky little Super Bowl contender. And then the Titans beat them, like beat the shit out of them week one, and I thought the Titans were going to the Super Bowl. Well, shows what I know. The Browns fucking suck, okay? Let's just talk about this here first. Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, those Diva-wide receivers, had to change shoes at halftime because the NFL threatened them that they would not be able to play in the second half. They were wearing, like, clown shoes or some shit, okay? And the NFL's like, what are you doing? Take those fucking shoes off. We have uniform policies. If you don't take them off, you guys won't play in the second half. Keep in mind... The Browns, you know, these guys, these two wide receivers have all the reason in the world to show off their shoes because, oh wait, never mind. They had scored 12 points at halftime on four field goals. Odell at halftime had three catches for like 21 yards and Jarvis was two for 18. The Browns, not only had shoe problems with these two, they had uniform problems with the whole team because they decided and got it approved to wear their fucking Color Rush uniforms, which is like brown on brown on orange. When they're playing the Broncos, who's wearing orange? It's fucking hard to watch in person. It makes it hard to decipher on TV. They can't even get their fucking uniforms right. And that's why they deserve to lose and fall to what? Fucking two and six? And they lost to Denver, who sucks, who was playing a quarterback that nobody's ever heard of, making his first ever start. And once again, these Browns fucked up, but then had a chance to get saved, even though they fucked up. They got fourth and four, three and a half minutes left down, five points. You got Jarvis Landry, double fucking covered, not open. You got Odell Beckham who on seven targets caught like ended up catching six passes and having a great game. Beckham, your best wide receiver, one of the best in the league, streaking, about to be wide-ass open if you just throw him the ball. Nope, we're going to force it to the double-covered Jarvis Landry. It is incomplete. The Browns go on to lose, and that's about as much Browns talk as I want to have this year. We had to talk about them a lot because they were hyped. We thought they'd turn it around. We thought it would get better. Nope. They like suck, suck, dude. They're like two and six. The season's over, okay? It's done. Fuck it. What else happened? Speaking of sucking, the Redskins. God, they suck. They became the first team since the 2008 Cleveland Browns to go three straight games without a touchdown of any kind. No rushing, no passing, no kickoff return, no fumble and scoop and score. Nope, no touchdown. So when the object of the game is to score touchdowns, and you go three entire football games without scoring one, fuck you, you deserve it. A team that sucks, but didn't suck and actually had to celebrate for a second but they still suck. It's the Miami Dolphins. That's right. There will be no 0-16 and 16 team. Somebody is at least, or everybody's going to at least have one win because the Miami Dolphins picked up their first win of the season. They beat the New York Jets. The New York Jets are coached by Adam Gase in his first year. The reason he is the coach of the Jets is is because he was fired by the Miami Dolphins, where he was previously coached. So the Dolphins get their first win. And keep in mind, the Dolphins are bad, bad. Like, they might win one or two games and still be the worst team ever. That's how bad they are, even though there's been a couple 0-16s. However, the Dolphins won, and they got their victory by fucking beating their old coach, who never should have got another job let alone in the same division fire gase chants broke out this game was in Miami and fans from New York are in Miami chanting to fire the coach so both of these horrible teams are now one win and seven losses but at least the Dolphins won a game Speaking of winning games, that's what the 49ers are keeping on doing. They, thanks to the Patriots' loss and their victory, uh, the 49ers' victory, the 49ers are the only undefeated team remaining in the National Football League. Remember back to preseason? We were worried about Jimmy G. Man, he's not looking good. He's coming off another injury. This offense is going to struggle. Is Kyle Shanahan overrated as a play caller? Oh my goodness, well, they're undefeated in the regular season at 8-0, so good for them. And then, let's see here, a couple injuries. Cam Newton, done for the year. He's on injured reserve. The foot still needs work. I told you a few episodes ago that I'm not a doctor, but I knew it would be bad. He ain't coming back. He's done for the year. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson is on the short injured reserve. He will be eligible to come back. Uh, in the wild card round of the playoffs, assuming Philadelphia gets there. And then Nick Foles, who got injured week one for the Jacksonville Jaguars after coming over from the Eagles, uh, he will be making his return start from injury this weekend, uh, taking over for, uh, what's his name, Gardner Pornstash, who played good for like a game or two, and then, you know, he's just another guy. So Nick Foles is going to get his job back. We'll get to jobs back in just a second, but first, the Titans, let's just go ahead and do it. I told you, I warned you, look, they fucking just failed less miserably the previous two weeks. They did not win, they just didn't fuck up as bad as their opponents. Well, this came back to balance out this past weekend when the Titans snapped back to reality and lost 30-20 to to the Carolina Panthers. Now, I will say, even though the Titans suck, they're like, what, four and five? Their four and five is actually overachieving considering how bad of a coaching job and so many questionable decisions being made by this coaching staff. Now, I'm not one to analyze coaches okay they watch film they know what the fuck they're doing but when there's clear and obvious decisions like don't do this it's stupid and you do it and it fails well even i can figure out that that was a dumb decision okay and you can make an excuse for it one time and say it was worth a roll of the dice but there have been so many questionable whether it's plays in a certain moment or whether it's game plans or just how the game flows that the titans are four and five despite these coaches they should be fucking winless too Let me tell you about this. Okay, obviously the quarterback, he got benched Mariota, he sucks, whatever, we're done with him. But we have a running back named Derrick Henry who's pretty badass when he gets the ball. You know, that big motherfucker that's from Alabama that will run you over and has that speed with those long strides. You don't think that he's that fast until he's ran right by you if he hasn't ran over you. Derrick Henry, in the first half, going against a Panthers defense that ranks 27th out of 32 teams against the run. So you have a great matchup. On paper, Derrick Henry ran the ball two times. Two carries in the first half. What type of idiot coach, even if you're busy with a lot of other shit, somebody on the coaching staff has to say, hey, bro, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but like, Henry's only got two carries. It's almost halftime. Let's like, run the ball because, you know, we're on our backup quarterback, Tannehill, and uh, Henry's really good, and their defense doesn't stop guys like Henry very well. But no, nobody did it because nobody fucking pays attention or whatever the deal is. God, it's so frustrating. And then kicking, okay? So we have a good kicker. His name is Ryan Suckup. Suckup got hurt earlier this year. He was replaced By a bad kicker named Cairo Santos, who missed fucking four field goals against the goddamn Bills, we lost that game. We, the Tennessee Titans, as an organization, made a good decision and cut that motherfucker. But our original kicker is still injured, so we had to get the kicker who bounced it off both uprights for the Bears last year, Cody Parkey. We used Parkey for a little bit. He plays okay. But now our original kicker, Ryan Suckup, who's normally good to steal an ESPN skit, He's back from injury. Ryan Suckup went 0 for 3. Missed all three of his field goal attempts in his first game back from injury. The Titans lost by 10 points had he made his field goals. All of a sudden, that might be a different game. Now, I said something about returning quarterbacks. When we look at the schedule, the Titans this weekend will play the Kansas City Chiefs. Likely to return from injury. Oh, just the fucking reigning MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Let's just go ahead and write down four and six. And that's really all I'm going to spend on the NFL because the next segment you hear is the last segment that I'm recording. And that's college football. We haven't talked about it the last couple weeks because all my teams suck. But one of my sucky teams made a really good but really expensive decision this weekend. You're listening to the five-star show. Let's go to campus. So the big story in college football is on Tuesday night, the first edition of the college football uh, playoff rankings were released. Number one is Ohio State. Number two, LSU. Number three, Bama. Number four, Penn State. Those would be your final four as of right now. So what is your initial reaction? Well, Ohio State and LSU both have great arguments because of who they've played and who they've beat. This is Ohio State's first time being ranked number one in a college football playoff ranking. Uh, This also means that LSU versus Alabama this weekend will not be number one versus number two like it was in the AP poll. It will actually be number two versus number three because as good as Bama is, they haven't really played anybody that's any good. Uh, Clemson is the first team out at number five. They also have not played anybody worth a shit. And all of this really doesn't matter right now because LSU and Bama, number two and number three, play this weekend. And then Ohio State and Penn State, number one and number four, will play each other on the 23rd. There is a little wiggle room for whoever loses those games. To still make this playoff. It's not like a, oh my God, the winner is in and the loser is fucked. No, it's not going to matter right now. But it does, you know, just kind of show you what the committee thinks that, hey, we're going to reward the teams that have actually played some people, whether it's your fault or not. Like Alabama can't help that Tennessee doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. I mean, they've hired like three different coaches or so since Saban's been there and they're fucking all or clueless. Although at least Tennessee's at least showing a little sign of life. But, I mean, fuck, they're playing Sisters of the Poor again. However, Ohio State 1, I like it. LSU 2, cool. They beat somebody. They beat Florida. Bama hasn't really played anybody. But we know they're good. 3, okay, I like it. That's reasonable. I'm cool with these rankings. Quickly, elsewhere in college football, before I get to my big passionate rant. Rant game day in memphis that's right it's not just the college basketball team that's got some hype the football team is also pretty solid college game day was in memphis beale street jerry lawler fucking they sold out the liberty bowl i haven't seen the liberty bowl sold out fucking years i mean since i was a child and they played previously undefeated smu and it was a great game 54 to 48 was the final the memphis tigers won Shout out to Memphis. I hope your coach leaves for a new opportunity, which is why we're really talking about college football. My Florida State Seminoles fired. Head coach Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart lasted 21 games on the job. Florida State lost to Miami. The U you know, the team you can't lose to if you're Florida State, lost to them 27-10. to 10. That drops Florida State to 4-5 on the year. Last year, in Willie Taggart's first season, Florida State missed a bowl game for the first time since 1981. Now, because Mr. Taggart only lasted 21 games... When he was signed to a six-year contract, Florida State still has to pay the guy a lot of money. Florida State University raised roughly $20 million in private donations. Like rich people that have become successful that graduated from Florida State and want them to do well. You call them and say, hey... You went here. You want to make a donation to your school since you're rich now? We fucked up on the football coach and we need your money. The university raised $20 million in private donations to buy out the remainder of Willie Taggart's contract. Because FSU signed Mr. Taggart to a six-year $30 million deal. Florida State still owes about 85% of the remaining money through January of 2024 so you have basically a 16 million dollar buyout but that's not all because you see Florida State bought this coach out of a contract from Oregon because Willie Taggart just last year I'm sorry two years ago was the head coach of the Oregon Ducks. And after one season in Oregon, Florida State opened up. That is Willie Taggart's dream job. So Taggart left Oregon, which is a great college football university with all kinds of resources. He left it after one season to go to Florida State because it's his dream job. Well, Florida State paid Oregon $3 million to be able to to get the right to sign Willie Taggart to a six-year $30 million deal. But wait, there's more. Because you see, Florida State also paid the $1.3 million buyout to South Florida that Oregon owed them. When Oregon hired Willie Taggart, from South Florida in 2016. So just to be clear, in 2016, Taggart leaves South Florida. He goes to Oregon. That costs money. Okay, hey, your contract's not up. Well, I want you anyway. Okay, well, then I'll pay a bunch of money to be able to say fuck your contract. Come over here and sign a contract with us. So Taggart leaves South Florida in 2016 for Oregon. In 2017, he leaves Oregon for Florida State. Florida State signed him to this deal that was worth six years, $30 million, and had to pay the other school's buyouts. So this was about $20 million that had to be raised to pay the football coach not to coach football for your university. Because... Why wait six years? If your team sucks, your team sucks. If your coach sucks, your coach sucks. Because you should see some progress. This isn't the old school day of college football where, oh, it's got to take three or four years. No, like if you're a good coach, you can make an impact in a year or two. And then you get some recruiting done and you get some people excited to come to your school because you show that you got some promise again. But no, what's happened is this school has shit the bed. And so you go ahead and just take your fucking L now and get your coaching search started. Because all the hot new coaches that are at the smaller level schools, like the coach of Memphis, hey, he's doing really well right now. Hmm, but Florida State's a bigger job. Maybe I'll get that job. Well, you got a little early advantage while the season's still going on. Your season's already fucked anyway. Might as well start the search for the replacement. Now, one thing that Willie Taggart did quite well was he left Oregon behind in good hands. I don't know what type of hands he's left Florida State in, probably not good ones. They'll probably end up in handcuffs. But you see, when Willie Taggart was given the opportunity by Oregon When he was just the coach at South Florida, he had South Florida looking good. It's like, Oh, man, you got South Florida good. Okay, well, shit, you can do good with Oregon because we're a bigger school with way more resources. We have Nike as our next-door neighbor. We have Nike money. All you got to do is get some people excited and they wear some cool uniforms and be a half-assed, decent coach. We got you. Well, Taggart took that job with every intention of being at Oregon for a long time. But then only after one season his dream job back in Florida, Florida State University, came open. And so Willie Taggart had to make a tough decision to leave a really good opportunity like a dickhead after one year and go for your dream job or just stay there and, you know, write out your contract and say, hey, it was my dream, but now I have a new dream. Well, he chose to fucking bail and a lot of people, especially Oregon fans, and even myself, I was like, really? You're a fucking asshole. Like, I'm glad that my favorite team is your dream job, but that's a fucking dick move to leave a good school like Oregon after a year. A lot of people were pissed. But as it turns out, Willie Taggart left behind a lot of his coaching staff, including Oregon's current head coach, who wasn't even on the radar to be a head coach. He just got promoted because he was the assistant for Taggart. Oregon has its current head coach, its current offensive coordinator, special teams coach, and secondary coaches, all of which were hired by Willie Taggart in that one year. So without Willie Taggart's one year at Oregon, Oregon may not be 8-1 today with a chance to be in the college football playoff. So thanks for leaving Oregon in good hands. You fucked Florida State, and Florida State's paying for it and goddamn South Florida. Jesus Christ, that's my team's. I just, I mean, you gotta imagine, I cheer for the Florida State Seminoles, the Tennessee Titans, the Memphis Grizzlies, the fucking Knicks. I have sports happiness once every 15 years on average, and it's usually just because Florida State wins one about every 15 years. You know, the Titans have made one Super Bowl, the Grizzlies will fucking probably never do it. Jesus Christ. Sports is supposed to be my escape. It fucking sucks. Uh, there was a bunch of notes on LSU and Bama had it been number one, number two, but the new rankings fucked that up, but it's still going to be a good game this weekend. Check it out. Number two, number three, hopefully Tua, the quarterback for Alabama is healthy enough to play. And that's going to wrap up your trip to college. We've talked about the pro football. We've talked about college football. Now let's get random for a little bit. And then we'll take a trip around the sporting world. You're listening to The Five Star Show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefivestarshow.com. So we're going to split up a little bit, inject just a little bit of funky, a little random, a little miscellaneous after the gridiron that is college and pro. And before we take our trip around the sporting world, Let's give you a few just random funky things out there that I like. Number one, my alma mater, my almighty Eagleville Eagles high school football team, finished the regular season at seven and three. They will begin their playoff journey at Houston County, which finished nine and one. That game is November eighth, seven p.m. local time. Go support them because. I'm not going to be able to. This is my support. But one of the things that's weird, again, I'm not a high school sports guy because I'm fucking twice their age. That's weird. But the way that our Tennessee state playoffs work is strange to me. I don't care to read it, but let me tell you why it's strange. There are teams that are in the playoffs. Marion County two and eight. That's right. Two wins, eight losses. By the way, if I shout out your school, fucking that's great because I can't find you on a map. So celebrate it. You're on the five-star show. It's a big deal. Your teams, however, suck and shouldn't be in the fucking playoffs. I don't care if your children are not. If you go two and eight, like Marion County, Tennessee, you should not be able to travel to Trousdale County, who was eight and one. Because God forbid you accidentally upset them and just ruin their fucking season when you shouldn't be in this shit at all. Sheffield School, along with Bolton and Lenore City, these are Tennessee High School football teams. All three of those teams had a regular season record of one win and nine losses. Yet they are in the state playoffs. Tennessee. I don't know how that works yet. There was a team that went seven and three called Montgomery Central that lost their last regular season game. Seven and three, they missed the playoffs. Yet teams that are one and nine and two and eight can make it. But that's about as enough Tennessee high school football as you guys want to hear. Go Eagles! What else is on the funky Nashville, SC? So this is our team, our club, our soccer team. I want to as the person who runs the website that I haven't updated in a couple months because I'm still a little crazy. I don't want to get overwhelmed. But eventually, hopefully for 2020, we're going to have people who like work for me or volunteer until I can afford to pay them, hopefully sooner than later, after I actually pay myself. I'm going to have some soccer guys, and we're going to be tight, hopefully, with Nashville SC. Nashville SC is our soccer team that played in the USL, which is the league below MLS, Major League Soccer. Played there for the last couple years, USL uh playoffs are going on right now and Nashville SC their season came to an end. They were eliminated by Indy 11 Saturday night a score of 1 to nothing. So why does this matter? Well, number 1, this team or the name and some of the players, a couple of them at least, will be joining MLS next season. So they will be part of America's top soccer league. MLS is not one of the European or Spanish leagues or even the German league, but MLS has improved, you know, in the 20 something years that it's been around. It's not just a retirement home for, you know, old English and Spanish soccer players that, you know, can be 45 years old and still kick all of our American asses, but it's still behind the big leagues. But MLS is expanding and doing well and the competition is growing and American soccer, as you've heard for fucking 20 years also, is getting better, allegedly. So Nashville will have a professional, actual professional MLS soccer team beginning with the next soccer season. What concerns me about that is that Nashville SC, who we are supposed to be excited about and watch them on this final step of their minor league run before they turn pro. You think they could sell out their stadium. They play in the Nashville Sounds, which is the Triple-A baseball stadium. They basically turn the outfield into a soccer field. And for this playoff game that was very important for Nashville soccer and we're getting behind them they only drew 4,174 fans to the minor league baseball stadium to watch the minor league soccer team. Now that's a little bit upsetting because this team, or a variation of it, is going to be a professional soccer team, and until their actual soccer-specific stadium is built and finished at the Tennessee State Fairgrounds, they're going to be playing their home games at Nissan Stadium, home of the Tennessee Titans that holds 69,000 fans. If you're having trouble getting 4,000 people to the baseball stadium to watch your playoff appearance, it makes me a little more concerned. Obviously, I don't expect 70,000 people to show up to watch soccer, although it can happen. Atlanta did it. But I do, you know, expect 30,000 or so to like be excited I hope they will be once our team officially becomes MLS. Maybe people will start caring more then. And these 4,000 that were there on Saturday night to watch this season end uh, are the 4,000 diehards that were on the bandwagon first. Good for them if that's the case. Obviously, we want this to succeed, and we want to support Nashville SC going forward. But I wish there would have been more fans there. That would have made me feel a little more comfortable. What else was random? Oh, it's time for this day in history. This day, meaning the day that I'm speaking for the next 31 minutes at 11.29 p.m. November 5th, 1994 from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. The heavyweight championship of the world. WBA, IBF, and lineal champion Michael Moore, 35-0, and taking on George Foreman for the heavyweight championship of the world. So, if you don't know, you should know. George Foreman knocked out Michael Moore and won the heavyweight championship in something that is still to this day improbable as a standalone, just the event itself, and then when you think about the entire history and the story which I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version of here. It's one of the most amazing feats in sports history, okay? So, for those of you who aren't familiar, George Foreman was essentially a Billy Badass fucking thug-looking motherfucker that was hard as hell, tough as nails, and would knock your ass out, okay? And he did just that beat the shit out of Joe Frazier, and won the heavyweight championship back in 1973. Okay, and then in 1974, he faced a challenger who was thought to be by some a little past his prime, and this guy that he's fighting is a clear underdog because George Foreman punches so damn hard, we don't know if this guy can still take it. This guy, of course, is Muhammad Ali. In 1974, the rumble in the jungle takes place. Okay, it's the most watched live television broadcast at the time. It was watched by around a billion people. Okay. And Muhammad Ali did the rope-a-dope and ended up making George Foreman punch and punch and punch and punch and punch and tire himself out And then Ali popped him, knocked him out, and that remains, to this day, of course, George Foreman's now been retired for a long time, but that was George Foreman's only knockout loss, and it was to Muhammad Ali, because everybody loved Muhammad Ali, but George Foreman was this big, tough motherfucker, but not everybody loved him, but he was the champ. He was the best, not Ali anymore, so he wanted to show the world that y'all going to love me, and I'm going to beat up the guy you love. And Muhammad Ali just took it and let George Foreman get tired until he tired himself out and got knocked out essentially by exhaustion. So he lost that heavyweight championship. And when he lost the heavyweight title, it really kind of took a toll on him. Because now that aura of being the badass and the fact that you weren't able to beat the greatest of all time when you probably should have beat him and you fell for his strategy of the rope-a-dope It made you look bad. So he took off the entire year of 75, and then in 76, he had a Rock'em Sock'em Robots fight where he and his opponent Ron Lyle were knocked down multiple times before Foreman finally finished him off in the fifth round in the fight of the year for 76. And then Foreman rematched and beat again Joe Frazier. Then he had a couple more quick knockouts, but he was never able to get that title shot again because... Ali wouldn't give him the rematch, because Ali knew, hey, I'm not going to be able to rope-a-dope this fool again. He ain't going to fall for it twice, and if that guy hits me, it's going to knock me out. So Ali ducked Foreman for a rematch. Smart decision, even though it sucks. It really affected Foreman, but for Ali, it was a smart decision not to go in there and like actually fight him and not rope-a-dope him, because at that point, he probably would have got his head knocked off so Foreman's not able to get his title shot and he ends up uh, having one more fight against Jimmy Young and this uh, fight becomes Foreman's second career loss. It went the decision. It went you know all 12 rounds but basically Foreman toward the end of the fight got really tired. He got knocked down and then he got really ill. Like seriously ill after the fight. He had a heat stroke and then here's where we get a little loopy. He has his You know, I see the white light moment, like I'm going to die, like it's that bad. And he sees God, and he's not a religious man at this point, but he sees God and says, God, I'll always believe there is a God, I just got to start learning more about you, or something like that. And so God shows him the way. And so big, bad-ass, scary motherfucker George Foreman, you know, former, by the way, Olympic gold medalist, former heavyweight champion, This guy is the scary guy, the mean guy. Now, he's seen the light. And in 1977, he decides to retire from boxing and pursue a career in church. He became a minister and later a reverend in his hometown of Houston. So he does the whole church thing. And he does this for 10 years. And during this time period, he... Reforms his image. He was the scary monster guy that was mean and tough, and you're not going to put him on any commercials. Now, all of a sudden, he's the huggable church guy that used to be the bad guy, but he's fun loving old Grandpa George essentially. And then in 1987, so remember, he retired in 77, takes 10 years off. In 87, he decides he wants to come back, okay? He's, uh, what, 38 years old, having taken 10 years off, basically the prime of your career, he took it off and retired. He decides he wants to come back, and what he's doing is he, he thinks that, you know, he can maybe still have that punch, and in the right circumstance, with the good Lord on his side, win the heavyweight championship. He's also trying to raise money for some of these foundations that he's done with his church. He's trying to get awareness. And he's trying to show people that, hey, age ain't nothing but a number. You just gotta you know, think right and all that great shit, okay? But the reality is, when you take your prime off from boxing and then come back to boxing at 38, you're not expected to do much, let alone win a world title. So from 1987 until 1991, George Foreman fights 24 times to improve his record to 69-2. and Out of those 24 fights, 22 of them were fucking bums. A couple of them were like fringe contenders. One of them actually was an opponent for the world championship at one point. So he beat like one legit guy, one solid guy, and a bunch of fucking bums. But this, along with his image becoming hey he's in commercials now oh hey he's gonna be our pitch man because we like him we might even put his name on a grill that we're about to invent called eventually the george foreman grill all of a sudden now george foreman is a household name again and it's not really because of his boxing it's because he's the church guy and the pitch man guy and the fun guy Well, because he won 24 fights in a row, even if it was mostly bums, because he's George Foreman, both former champion back in the day, Olympic gold medalist, and now lovable pitch man, he gets a title opportunity against Evander Holyfield, who at this time in 1991 was the baddest man on the planet, okay? I mean, Holyfield, this was best Holyfield So at 42 years old, you got George Foreman going in there against the guy. And to a lot of people's surprise, basically everyone's surprise, George Foreman actually went the distance. He didn't win the fight. Evander Holyfield won the fight. But George Foreman made it the distance. And when you look at these two side by side, I mean, Foreman's got this, like, you know, grandpa body, you know, kind of big old belly body, not fat, but just kind of round, and Holyfield is just jacked and ripped and fucking, we learn later, probably on steroids, I don't know about this time, but might have been, but Holyfield was the real deal, but surprisingly, George Foreman made it the distance. So, he beats three bums, George Foreman, in between 91 and 93, and then he gets a opportunity at a, at this time, minor heavyweight champion. Yes, this guy Tommy Tommy Morrison is a heavyweight title holder, but he's not the best heavyweight. But technically if George Foreman would uh, were to be successful he would become a heavyweight titleist, a heavyweight champion. So he fights Tommy Morrison this is his second real ish competitor other than Holyfield near the second one, Tommy Morrison that George Foreman has fought since, you know, 1977 because he's fought a bunch of bums. He loses to Tommy Morrison. Tommy Morrison is not going to trade with him. Tommy Morrison makes him run around the ring and outboxes him. And Foreman, at this point, is just a slow, plotting. I'm going to hope to hit you with this one punch, and if it hits you, it's going to kill you. But if you move around and shit on me, I ain't going to hit you. So at this point, George Foreman has done this comeback And he is very successful. Pitch man. George Foreman Grill comes out in 94. Yeah, he's boxing. It's a cool story. But he ain't going to win the title. Because he ain't beating fucking Holyfield. He couldn't beat Tommy Morrison. He ain't going to win a belt. Well, then something happens. Evander Holyfield lost to Michael Moore. Michael Moore beat Evander Holyfield to become the first ever left-handed or... Southpaw, heavyweight champion of the world. Well, Michael Moore has an opportunity to fight Lennox Lewis, and like any other sane person, it's like, no, I don't really want to do that. What are my other options? I don't want to fight fucking Lennox Lewis in my first title defense. I would like a fight that I could, you know, probably win without a lot of stress. And so he looks around, and he sees George Foreman. Now George Foreman has already lost two opportunities at becoming a heavyweight champion. At this point, George Foreman is not ranked because he shouldn't be ranked. He is not deserving of a heavyweight title opportunity. Yes, it was a nice story. Yes, we love George, but he shouldn't be fighting for a championship. He has no chance. But Michael Moore saw this and said, Hey, that's a name. That's A guy that's got some fame right now. And that's a guy that I can beat. All I got to do is outbox him, which is what I do. I jab, 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 hit, jab, jab, box. I'm a boxer. All I got to do is not let him land that one shot. And I'm going to make some money and get a relatively easy win. So in 1994, this day, 1994, for the heavyweight championship of the world, Michael Moore... A heavy favorite takes on George Foreman, 45 years, 299 days old and not deserving of a heavyweight championship opportunity. In fact, this fight was almost canceled because it was like, no, dude, Michael Moore, we have very vague guidelines. You got to fight somebody at least in the top 10. Well, Somebody fudged the rankings and decided to put Foreman in at number 10 last minute once some lawsuits were threatened, and all of a sudden, okay, it gets to slide. So here we go, your last chance that you really don't deserve, but this is it, you're not going to win it, but maybe you can not get embarrassed. Well, for nine rounds of this fight, George Foreman got peppered, Michael Moore Landing that jab, landing that jab, pop, 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 pop. He's even saying the words pop as he's popping him in the face. He's talking that shit. He's feeling good. But his trainer, Teddy Atlas, world famous trainer, is like, hey, listen, George is trying to set you up and he can still land that one punch. So I know you're winning and I know you're popping him, but please do not stand directly in front of him or he will hit you with one right hand and you won't get up. Please move around. Okay? Okay. You got three more rounds. Let's finish this out. Well, what do you know? Michael Moore doesn't listen. And he stands in front of George Foreman. And George Foreman in round 10 finally lands something of, you know, substance. Enough where the crowd can go, oh shit, he actually landed a punch that, like, looked like it might have hit the guy. Wow. Oh, he landed another one. And then Moore stands there and is like, wait a minute, I just took your punch. I thought that was your best punch. I took it. I'm the champ. I can stand in front of you because your punch can't knock me out because you just hit me with it. So he stands in front of him and then a little left followed by a right hand right on the chin put Michael Moore down for the count. He could not get up and George Foreman at the age of 45 years old became the heavyweight champion once again wearing the exact Same shorts, trunks, not a replica, literally the exact same ones that he was wearing when he lost the heavyweight championship to Muhammad Ali 20 years earlier. He became the oldest person to win a uh, world title. And he had the longest gap 20 years between his first and second title reign. And he also was 19 years older than Moore, which is the biggest age discrepancy in a heavyweight championship fight. So he beats Michael Moore. And I hope that that tells you a little bit of how significant and how amazing and unexpected and just, it shouldn't have happened. It happened. And oh my God, it really happened. And George Foreman won the fucking heavyweight championship of the world. This day, in 1994 the last little random thing I want to hit you with and this went way too long because I got excited talking about Foreman but here and I had a major accident during this which you'll hear at the end of the show halfway into that George Foreman thing I spilled a Miller Lite all over my $1500 laptop and had a fucking panic attack I think it's okay but the last random thing is the Popeye's chicken sandwich has returned the chicken sandwich that is supposedly even better than a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, which around here could be, you know, considered blasphemy. But this chicken sandwich returned to Popeye's on Sunday. Its initial run lasted only two weeks in August after every human on earth, apparently other than me, got to eat this sandwich, and it was so delicious that Popeye's ran out of sandwiches. So then they said, whoa, We got a hit here. So they bring back the chicken sandwich this past Sunday. Of course, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday. This damn sandwich is apparently so good that Chick-fil-A, you know, the big dog, the old champ, the guy that's been around for the whole time, starts looking at this little up-and-coming whippersnapper like, oh, another cocky sandwich trying to come at the king. But this time things are different. See, this cocky chicken sandwich is really good and, like, legit. It's so legit that Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Stefan Diggs wore Popeye's-themed cleats during pregame. Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson credited Popeye's chicken sandwich in healing his eye that was bothering him. And this sandwich did great and it's return on Sunday. There were lines wrapped around every Popeye's you could find. However, at one Popeye's, somebody wanted that sandwich a little too much. Because in Maryland, about nine miles south of where our president resides in Washington, D.C., Mr. Kevin Tyrell Davis, age 28, died after being stabbed In an argument over the chicken sandwich, Mr. Davis cut the line that was designated specifically for customers ordering this sandwich. Well, when he cut that line, he got confronted by the person who ended up stabbing him. It's an unidentified man at this time. They say, whoa, bro, you cut the line. What are you doing? They start talking some shit. And next thing you know, the guy who cuts the line, is stabbed, and ends up dying probably about 15 seconds later. So what started as a why did you cut the line, it led from a little, hey bro, what the hell, to a homicide in about 15 seconds. You talk about pointless and horrible. These two men didn't even know each other. They didn't have beef for anything. Before the issue, it was just random dude cuts the line. What you gonna do about it? Oh shit You stab me and I'm dead over a chicken sandwich Anybody in the restaurant, please look at the camera footage that is out there They've got a still shot of the stabber if you know anything I don't know what the prize is, but I imagine you'll at least get a free chicken sandwich So yeah, I want to try it, but I'm gonna wait a couple weeks just to make sure that I don't get stabbed in the chest over a sandwich. And that was the miscellaneous segment that went way too long. Now let's take our trip around the sporting world. We will begin our trip around the sporting world on the Five Star Show with the fights. UFC 244 for the BMF belt featuring The Rock and Donald Trump, Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz ends in a referee stoppage because of a cut, a bad cut, but a cut, over the eye of Diaz. So Jorge was winning this fight after, you know, the first three rounds already, like, but the thing with Diaz is, in rounds four and five, his cardio keeps him in it, and if he can withstand the first three rounds of maybe getting some punishment, he might outlast you and end up choking you out. If you remember the first Conor McGregor fight where Diaz won, that's kind of what happened, you know? His cardio was better. McGregor couldn't knock him out, got tired, got choked out. So Diaz could have continued. This cut was bad, but I've seen worse. But to have a fight for a gimmick BMF baddest motherfucker title... And then have that fight be stopped because the dude's got a cut on his eye. That doesn't sound very BMF. And if you know these two guys, there's a reason the belt was made. But ultimately, Jorge wins this BMF belt. There may or may not be a rematch. Diaz was pissed afterwards from everybody from UFC to The Rock himself. And eventually he'll come back and fight, maybe. Or he'll just pout for a few years until he comes back. But things of actual importance on this fight uh, card: a couple of up-and-comers, couple hot shots. Johnny Walker, he is supposed to be the next big deal. Gonna be fighting John Jones. He's gonna be the guy. Well, he got fucking knocked the fuck out real quick, round one. So we need to put the brakes on that just for a second. Not just assume everybody's gonna beat you know one of the best of all time in John Jones. And then down at lightweight, Gregor Gillespie, previously undefeated at 13-0, supposed to be the next big deal, takes on Kevin Lee, and Kevin Lee kicks his head off his shoulders in the first round. So the two hot shot prospects that are like, hey, you know, they win another fight or so, and they're going to be in title contention, they took a major L on this card. Your other winners, names that you've heard of, Darren Till, finally. You know, wins a fight after trying to cut weight and lose, moves up, wins. Good for him. Wonderboy Thompson looked good in a bounce back after he had got knocked out previously. And then Derek Lewis, my man, my balls is hot, got a split decision. He won as well. Now in boxing, Canelo Alvarez defeated by knockout Sergey Kovalev for a 175-pound championship belt. So that's light heavyweight. Canelo Alvarez, with this win, became a four-division champion. 154, 160, 168, and 175. He wasn't the undisputed champion in all of those classes, but he was still a champion in those classes, and that's a big deal to have about a 20-pound range of being a champion. And this was a legit knockout performance. No bullshit here from Canelo. I am typically a Canelo hater because he has been the beneficiary of some questionable decisions and he fought a bunch of bums to pad that record because he's good looking and he's going to be Mexico's next biggest star and he's got that pretty smile and yeah he got smoked by fucking Mayweather but Mayweather was just a much superior boxer and Alvarez was around 21 years old at the time. Okay, so there's no there's no fault or shame in losing to Mayweather when you're fucking 21 years old, okay? But since then, he had some, well, he might have lost that fight. Well, we're going to give him a decision. Or, ooh, I think uh, Triple G beat him. Uh, maybe we'll call it a draw. Okay, and then in the second fight with Triple G, you know, I thought Canelo did enough to deserve a victory. But here we go with this one. Now, Kovalev did lose a couple times to andre ward but otherwise he and he did get knocked out by somebody else okay he's toward the end of his career he's 36 years old but kovalev is still a legit 175 pound puncher and when you were just 150 something pounds not that long ago a dude that's 175 and by the time he's actually in the ring after rehydration could be you know 190 punching you yeah that's a big deal So this guy is a legit light heavyweight, legit good fighter, if not as good as he was a couple years ago, still good, and can knock you out. And Canelo Alvarez went in there, you know, he's much shorter, but he closed the distance, landed some body shots, and then got the shot to the head, followed by another one, and that put Sergei Kovalev to sleep. This is a legit, impressive victory For Canelo Alvarez, which is good for the sport of boxing. I can be a hater all I want, but if you want boxing to be relevant, you need good stars. And this is a good star with a signature impressive victory. However, boxing bent the knee to MMA on this night. As you see, the big UFC fight for the BMF belt was taking place in New York And it was going to take place at the same time as Canelo Alvarez's big boxing fight in Las Vegas. Well, the Canelo Alvarez team, DAZN, the streaming service that has all of his fights, made the decision that Canelo will not fight until the UFC main event is over. So that means the fight, the co-main event... So the fight right before the main fight in boxing, there was over an hour gap, okay? Because Dazone didn't want people to miss Canelo when they're watching UFC. So they waited on UFC to end and then an hour later, after 1am East Coast time, that's when Canelo Alvarez and Kovalev finally started their fight. Luckily, For the people inside the boxing arena, there was an arrangement made where ESPN, who is the pay-per-view provider for UFC exclusively, allowed the MGM Grand to put their fight on the big screens so that fans who are sitting there waiting for the main event, Canelo Alvarez, all of a sudden a fucking hour is going by. They would be rioting, but they put it on the big screens. So, hey, you got to wait an hour, but you get to watch UFC for free while you wait. They had a picture, you know, a camera in each locker room, one of Kovalev, one of Canelo, and they're just like laying around kind of watching UFC like, all right, let's hurry up. Because you get warmed up, you get your damn gloves on, you get all taped up and hyped up, and you see that fight right before you end, and then you're like, okay, now it's time to be kicking ass here in a few minutes. And then you got to wait like an hour, dude, that can kill you. They made it work, but this clearly shows... There, there, there would be a time. There was a time not that long ago, where any big boxing fight wouldn't even notice that UFC was on, and UFC wouldn't be stupid enough to schedule against it. Now UFC makes Canelo wait and say, no, 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 we're gonna do our thing, and then if people wanna tune over to you after us, y'all can go ahead after us. And fucking DAZN was like, yeah, you're right, fucking MMA, people are watching. So, boxing's not dead, but it's not what it used to be. However, a very impressive victory for one Canelo Alvarez. From the fights, we transition to college basketball. That's right. Guys, it is that time of year. It's time to get excited for some college basketball. That's right. It's November 6th. The sport that is known for March Madness. Let me tell you, by the time March Madness happens, the kid that's already here will be four, and the new kid that will be here in a couple weeks will be like a few months old. It's too early to start giving a shit about basketball, but it is starting tonight, so we must talk about it briefly. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert, because every year I do this, and every year it's the same few teams that are favored. Tonight, you have number one versus number two, Michigan State versus Kentucky. Why are these teams ranked like this? Well, because, you know, they were good in high school last year, so now they're all freshmen in college, and we expect them to be good in college. Michigan State did make the Final Four last year, does have a good player returning. I get them. But, like, Kentucky, number two. Why? Because they're Kentucky, and they have a bunch of guys that were good in high school? Okay, Kansas, probably the same thing. Number three, Duke, lost, like, two players that were the number one and number three pick of the NBA draft last year. Okay, the number three guy was actually rated ahead of the number one guy coming into college. Like, R.J. Barrett was a better prospect than Zion. But either way, you have a guy go one and a guy go three, eh, that's okay, we'll just reload, we'll be number four. So, Michigan State, number one, versus number two, Kentucky, is in progress as I record at 10.37 p.m. on Tuesday night. Kentucky's got a six-point lead. It's like 40 to 30-something. And then before this, number three, Kansas, played number four, Duke. Duke won by two points. There you go. Your favorites to win the title, and yes, I am reading this off the paper, but really it's unnecessary because even if you don't watch, but... Like three college basketball games all year, you know who the favorites to win the title are. Michigan State is your overall favorite, your betting favorite to win the tournament. Followed by Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, Louisville. They're all in that favorites to win the title because, duh, they always are. You used to have like UCLA and Indiana. Well, we get rid of them. And we replace them with Louisville and potentially Memphis. Okay, Memphis starts the season ranked number 14. Why is that? Because they, Memphis Tigers and head coach Penny Hardaway, have the number one recruiting class. So the best class of high school talent, they are now beginning their career at what is formerly known as Memphis State University. Including like six of the top 115 players in the fucking country. Okay, if there's... Think about how many think about how many high school basketball players there were. For Christ's sake, I was a high school basketball player. I averaged like three points and fucking five fouls in four minutes a game. Okay, I sucked. But I was a high school basketball player. So think about how many of us there are... You don't even have to be an athlete to sit the bench on a lot of schools like me. And then imagine the top like 115 of those. They must be really elite. And then you have six of those on your team coming in. They all agree to go to the same school, including number one overall player, period, James Wiseman. James Wiseman While I'm not an expert on high school basketball because I'm 32, if I'm fucking watching 16-year-olds play basketball, I need to get a life or get some mental therapy. However, I actually saw James Wiseman. He's a big seven-foot-tall motherfucker who went to high school in the Memphis area and now is going to college for Memphis. I saw him at the Tennessee State Tournament because my almighty Eagleville Eagles were in that tournament. And after the game that I watched for my team... There was this guy that everybody was talking about that's supposed to be the best player in the country, so I'm like, I'll check him out. And he goes out there, and he's seven foot tall, so you think he's just going to dominate all these high schoolers, and he gets off to like just a normal start. Like, he's not at 20 fucking points the first five minutes in. So whatever fucking team they were playing against in this tournament, their fans, the other team's fans, start chanting, overrated, ch ch apparently loud enough where the number one overall high school player who's seven foot something tall in the country was able to hear and so then he's like okay it's time to start playing and he fucking dunked the basketball over pretty much the entire team that was on the court like he was like fuck all five of y'all and all your fans eat this dunk and then looked at the crowd and was like over what And they're like, oh, you're not overrated. You're fucking really good. Okay. So he now plays for Memphis. So Memphis is number 14 overall in the country. You have the best recruiting class coming in, including the best player in the country. Yes, you're depending on six freshmen to, like, get it together and gel. Because if you're all good really individually, that's great. But in order to succeed you are got to have some team ball and make some sacrifices, but everybody's going to be trying to get theirs because they only plan on staying at Memphis for like a year or so before they go pro. They don't want to hurt their draft stock if they're being a good teammate. That hurts your stats. But if they can figure it out, they have potential to be really fucking good this year. Uh, the other college basketball, so here's a quick question. The college basketball season for 2018-2019 ended in April. With the final four who was the college basketball national champion for this past season literally like six months ago you don't remember either great well it was the university of virginia they come in at number 11 on the top 25 your other final four teams from last year michigan state made the final four their number one overall texas tech number 13 and auburn comes in at 24. And that's as much college basketball as I can do in November. We'll talk about that when one of those guys gets injured, or if there's a big scandal, or otherwise we'll just table it till March because nobody gives a fuck till then. But there's seven minutes I tried. What else do we want to talk about? Let's just go straight from college to the NBA. Take them out of college and send them to the pros. So the big story that people actually care about is Steph Curry broke his hand. He's out at least three months. So the Warriors have already been struggling. We talked about this. Kevin Durant decided he would rather be injured in Brooklyn for a team that's historically terrible than stay on a team where he's been winning championships and, oh, by the way, just walked in and was their best player. Well, he got his rings and he's like, yeah, fuck y'all, I'm going to Brooklyn, but I'm not even going to play this year. So it's been an adjustment for the Warriors. But one of those positives of Durant leaving is you get the entertainment value of Steph Curry because now he doesn't have to pass to Durant so he can jack those fucking 40-foot three-pointers and get on a hot streak and you go, how does he do that? Well, you can't do it with a broken hand. So the Warriors are fucked. Uh, This season was already going to be a struggle for them anyway. But Steph Curry, broken hand. And it's kind of a weird thing too, apparently, from what I was reading. uh, It's in a spot of his hand where if he's not careful it can cause even more damage and like affect the way he plays basketball so he just needs to chill fuck it let it heal if he wants to play for the Olympics in 2020 cool Uh, they could fucking use the help after being a disaster in the World Cup if not whatever he doesn't have to but let's talk about the NBA shit that I care about because fuck Steph Curry my two favorite teams in the NBA if you recall are the New York Knickerbockers And the Memphis Grizzlies. I live and breathe and die with the Memphis Grizzlies. Not as much now because I have a child and about to be children. Priorities. But I will still stop what I'm doing if possible to catch my Grizzlies and cheer them on. Now remember there is hope for the future because we have young talent. But the future is in the future. The Grizzlies have played six basketball games this year so far. They have won exactly one of them. The Knicks have played seven basketball games this season so far. They have won exactly one of them. So, yes, there are 82 games in a season, but let's just go ahead and fast forward to the draft, okay? If we're looking at the Tankathon, who wants to get the number one pick? There are three teams tied with the best odds to get the number one pick in the 2020 draft. Those three teams are the New Orleans Pelicans, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the New York Knicks. If that sounds familiar, the top three picks in this previous draft, number one, Zion Williamson to the New Orleans Pelicans, number two, Ja Morant to the Memphis Grizzlies and number three RJ Barrett to the New York Knicks so the same three teams now the Grizzlies didn't have the best odds last year the Grizzlies got lucky and kind of scooted in there but and so did the Pelicans actually but the three teams that are most likely as of right now and it's way too early but not really because we know they're gonna suck the three teams with the best odds to get the number one pick are the same three teams that picked one two and three last year Trust the process. These, if you pick enough 19-year-olds with potential, eventually a couple of them got to work out. And if you can win it before they leave and go to somewhere that actually knows how to run a business and an organization, then you're good. If not, you're fucked. And that was basketball, both college and the pros on the five-star show. So we will close our return to around the sporting world. In Major League Baseball, because they recently closed their season for 2019, the Washington Nationals won the World Series, their first title in franchise history. Of course, they used to be the Montreal Expos, and they would have won the title in 94 because they had a great team, but you know, strike. So anyways, the Nationals won, and well-deserved, great story. You know, they were in the wild card game, which means if you lose this one game play in, you're done. Well, not only did they win that, they ended up beating the Los Angeles Dodgers, who were favored to represent the National League in the World Series. They beat them in the first round, swept the championship series over the St. Louis Cardinals, and then were in the most crazy World Series probably that we'll see. Not that every single game individually was great. There were some, you know, seven and five run beatdowns here and there, but it was so unique in that for the first time in sports history, that's right, American sports history, baseball, basketball, hockey, any sport that plays a best of seven style series, the road team won every single game. That is Unbelievable because you fight so hard to have the best record so that you can have a potential Game 7 on your home field. You want to have more home games than the opponent because you're comfortable at home. Yet, no home team won a single game. And in Game 7, it looked like that trend was going to change. Zach Greinke was the starter for the Houston Astros. And he was on fire. He was pitching. You know, Zach Greinke uh, had a great start. I mean, he was a Cy Young, I want to say, like ten years ago, and you know, looked great. And then he got a couple contracts and move around a little bit. And you know, I I don't really follow his career or anything, but from what I understand, maybe didn't live up to the contracts in the eyes of certain people. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on. I think his fourth team now. But he's pitching the game of his fucking life. And in the seventh inning, okay, I believe it's a 2-0 ball game, Houston is winning. They leave him in there, the manager leaves him in for the seventh inning, and he gives up a solo home run. And it's like, okay, hey, he gave up a solo shot, you know what, no big deal, we're not like panicking, but you've already pitched seven seven innings, you've been spectacular, but this is still a close game. Let's not let this be a sign of, oh, shit, you know, the batters have seen you three times now. They're going to start figuring you out and hitting you, and your arm's going to start getting tired, so your fastball ain't going to be as fast, and your movement's not going to be as good on those curves and sliders. Let's go ahead and just call it a night. Great job, Zach. You the man. So he still has the lead, gave up that solo shot, but other than that, just pitched incredibly. And then his replacement comes in. First guy gets on base, the second guy hits a fucking two-run homer, and all of a sudden, the Nationals are winning the game. Just like that, that seven, or six and a third, or whatever the fuck it is, effort, uh, six and a third inning, spectacular performance, just went straight to hell in about ten minutes. And ultimately, the Washington Nationals won the World Series. Poor Zach Greinke, performance of his life, Just got wasted and will be a footnote. Uh, Other baseball news, Steven Strasburg, who pitched very well in that same game and overall for the year, uh, he was your World Series MVP and immediately opted out of his contract because he had a deadline of like, hey, by midnight tomorrow, you got to make a decision. Are you going to stay in this contract, which is for four years, $100 million guaranteed? Or do you want to say, Nah, I just fucking won the World Series MVP and I think I'm still going to be awesome. So somebody, maybe this team, but if not, somebody will pay me like even more money. I'll roll with that one. Oh, how nice it must be to have the talent and the ability and the option to say four years, a hundred million. Nah, fuck that. I'm going to get more. So he opted out. He will be a free agent. We'll see where he goes. And then the New York Mets have hired Carlos Beltran, former baseball player, as their manager. That's right. He's going to manage the New York Metropolitans. Beltran, of course, you know, he's one of those guys that I know was really good off the top of my head, but then once I looked, I realized how good and how much better he actually was than even I thought. Uh, Beltran, 42 years old, played for now I'm cheating. I can remember, honestly, like three or four of these teams. So he played for the Royals, check. The Mets, check. The St. Louis Cardinals, check. And the Yankees. I knew that. He also played, let's see here, in total, the Royals, the Astros, the Mets, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Yankees, and the Texas Rangers. But he was a right-handed thrower and a switch hitter, the American League Rookie of the Year in 1999, nine-time All-Star, three gold gloves, the fifth player, only the fifth player in baseball history to reach both 400 home runs and 300 stolen bases, and only the fourth switch hitter in the history of baseball with 400 home runs. He also has the highest success rate in stealing bases, 88% success of any major league player in history with at least 300 attempts. He won a World Series in 2017 with the Astros. I don't even remember him being on the Astros, but he was part of that World Series team and then retired. So good for him. What's something that it kind of stands out that did throw me off? Like I knew he was really good. I didn't remember how great he was. But this next stat kind of goes against what I usually think. So Beltran is among the best all-time statistical hitters in postseason history. He broke the 1,000 OPS mark in four different playoff series, and he went 11 for 11, stealing bases throughout his playoff career, That's the most stolen bases in the playoffs without being caught. However, why does that not jive with what I'm thinking? Because as great as Carlos Beltran was, what is the one thing you think of when you say, Carlos Beltran, what do you think? That's right. It's him being frozen at the plate on the called third strike. That nasty, nasty curveball for the St. Louis Cardinals to advance to the 2006 World Series. Let's take you back real quick. 2006 National League Championship Series, Game 7. St. Louis Cardinals are up 3-1. to one. It's the bottom of the ninth. The bases are loaded. There's two out for the New York Mets. The Mets are down by two. Carlos Beltran, who had just signed this year, or actually in 2005, the year before, a seven-year, $119 million contract. He is one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball, and he's up right now with the bottom of the ninth. A trip to the World Series on the line. Bases loaded, two out. This is the guy you want. Beltron already has three home runs in this series. But closer, that's right, closer at the time, Adam Wainwright struck his ass out on three straight pitches, including the nastiest curve, and Beltron, with the bat in his hand, the weapon of choice to change the fortunes for the Mets. He didn't even swing it. It's a called third strike. You just watch it go right by and go, ah, oh, fuck, what was I doing? And that is my memory of him Despite all of the great things he did, and as great of a player as he was, that called third strike is the very first thing that I think about when I think about Carlos Beltran. Now, that sucks. Part of that's because, you know, I watch the Cardinals a lot too. But now, fast forward, not only did he end up playing for the Cardinals later on, he's now managing the New York Mets the same team that he wasn't able to take to the World Series because he didn't swing the fucking bat in 2006. So great player, bad moment. How's he going to be as a manager? I don't fucking know. All you do as a manager, I feel like, is just tap signals on your head and your chin and fucking walk out to the mound and spit fucking sunflower seeds and tell the pitcher, hey, are you going to do better? Or are you going to like not so i can take you out just let me know if you're gonna keep sucking oh you're gonna try to do better okay cool i'm gonna walk back to the dugout then but next time like i'm gonna take you out and then the pitcher fucking gives up a home run and the manager's like god damn it i you told me he's like i know sorry bro hands him the ball and that's it they're baseball managers they don't do anything because of analytics now There's stat people who wear suits in the office that tell you what the fuck to do as the manager, yet they dress up like baseball players. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It would be like basketball fucking coaches wearing basketball uniforms or goddamn Bill Belichick and fucking shoulder pads. Like, it's dumb. So who knows if he'll be any good, but at least he won't take a called third strike. And that's all there is on baseball till, fuck, probably opening day next year. That will wrap up Our first trip around the world in quite some time. Last week there was nothing that got my attention. This week there's too much. And that's okay. Too much is better. But now we must close this show with the W. W. A. That's right. It's wrestling time. All right. We will close the show. You know, the way to hide. This particular segment, since it did so well when I spent an hour on it last week, we'll try to shorten that by about 80%. But it's WWE. So WWE Crown Jewel took place on Halloween during the day. Uh, A couple of the highlights that you probably know by now. uh, The first ever women's match in Saudi Arabia took place. That's a good thing, supposedly. Progress. Cool. Cool. Uh, we had Kane Velasquez make a solid but not spectacular debut. He still has a knee thing that he might need surgery on. Just signed a three-year deal. And they wanted to make that fight look like a almost real MMA fight. Brock and Kane Velasquez did a great job there. The Tyson fury Braun Strowman match. Tyson's entrance was about the best thing going. And then Tyson... Knocked out with a right hand. Braun Strowman uh, knocked him out of the ring for a 10 count. So you just made Braun Strowman your big bad monster other than Brock. You know, one that the fans actually want to like. Lose again. So for the record, Braun Strowman, two-time tag team champion. I don't know how many time fucking Royal Rumble or Greatest Rumble or Battle Royal winner, but when it comes to actually winning something of substance, your boy Braun Strowman is a loser yet again, and then obviously The Fiend, the big surprise, I thought they were going to fuck The Fiend up again, because logic would have it, The Fiend, who's on Smackdown, is fighting Seth Rollins for the Raw belt, so we're going to find a way, and they were so specific, this is a no DQ, it can't be stopped for any reason, they try to make it seem like, There's no way it could be stopped and something shitty could happen to the guy that you want to love but we're trying to fuck up. And so we, as, you know, scorned wrestling fans, are already looking for the loopholes of how they can fuck my guy up. Well, guess what? It looked like they were going to. Okay, he got stomped 700 times by Seth Rollins. Then he got kicked into some electronics that for some reason, uh, and uh, granted this is using logic, But if you have like twice the amount of these electronics for let's say a rock concert at a big festival and something happens like somebody touches it or it rains, nothing happens. But in WWE, if somebody touches it, it fucking explodes into something that looks like something that comes out of a rock movie or some shit. Like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Okay, all the shit explodes, fireworks goes off. Oh my God, The Fiend is dead. So that's how we're going to make it. He didn't technically lose, he just fucking died. But then out of fucking nowhere... Which was amazing, yet unrealistic. But that's okay, because the Undertaker's been popular for like 25 years, and he plays a dead guy. In fact, went to be a Har- he went to be a Harley riding guy, and then came back to a dead guy. And we're like, yeah, cool, makes sense. The Fiend pops up, hits the Sister Abigail on Seth Rollins, one, two, three, and new Universal Champion, the Fiend. Which means he is taking that belt to SmackDown. But SmackDown already has a world title. The WWE Championship. Brock Lesnar. Remember, oh, Fox has to have Brock because Brock is like a real sport guy. And we want to be like real sports. Well, two weeks later, they're like, no, give us the fucking clown and you can take Brock's ass over to Raw. Because you're not going to have both belts on one show. So Brock quit, in quotation, SmackDown. Went over to Raw because he wants to beat up Rey Mysterio, who attacked him in Saudi Arabia after the fight with Cain Velasquez, because they're trying to keep brands separate. This is their loophole for hey, we just had a draft that was supposed to be important, but actually we already fucked it up, so we're trying to fix it without like fixing it the way we've done before, which is just fucking it all up completely. But hey, it's gonna work out. The Universal title. Apparently is getting a facelift as I speak it's going to debut on WWE's backstage show on FS1. But number 1, we don't get the channel and number 2, I have a really important show to record so I can't watch it right now anyway. But apparently that Universal Championship that Bray Wyatt now holds is going to get a little bit of a makeover, don't know how much, but some and that will happen for SmackDown. Brock can take his WWE Championship and go fight Rey Mysterio and that's supposed to be believable. But hey, whatever. The main thing that everybody's talking about, though, when it comes to WWE, is not anything that happened on the show, which is a shame because this is the first big super show that's basically a glorified house show where things of significance actually happen, like the Fiend win- winning, like the uh, first ever women's match, the, like Kane Velasquez and Tyson Fury's debut. There was actually significant shit that happened on one of these big old blood money propaganda shows. But nope, we still have to talk about the fuck up. So, if you've never flown to Saudi Arabia, not like I have, but the flight is long, okay? So if the flight gets delayed, and you're in Saudi Arabia on a Thursday, and you don't leave on time, you're not going to make it back on time to Buffalo, New York for Smackdown on Fox on Friday. It's about a 20 hour flight, 20 hours on a plane if everything goes according to plan well everything did not go according to plan now the story that is most believable is that the plane had a malfunction atlas air who charters uh the wwe plane for all the superstars that like are not the big big stars but all the other guys intercontinental and below they're on this plane okay this plane has trouble and They sit on the fucking tarmac in the desert of Saudi Arabia for seven hours. Some of them, the ones who have like actually got a little money, they got together in a little huddle and tried to get a charter and did get a charter. They're like, fuck this plane. We're going to get our own plane. We'll all throw in a few bucks and get our own plane. And even that plane didn't make it back in time. The big stars like Brock Lesnar, he was able to get back in time because he has his own plane per his contract. He can fly where he wants. He deserves it. He's Brock Lesnar. Cool. Ask for it. If they'll give it to you, fucking they give it to you. The worst they can say is no and you take your ass to UFC or hold him hostage for more money, which is what he does. Smart guy. But all these other motherfuckers get stuck on this plane and so they can't make it back to Buffalo, New York for Smackdown on time. So what happens on SmackDown, essentially, they have to get a bunch of NXT guys to come up from Florida to Buffalo, and they barely get there on time, but they end up salvaging the show and doing an NXT invasion angle because Survivor Series, the next big pay-per-view at the end of the month, will feature NXT included with the versus Raw versus SmackDown for the first time ever. So it's a good way, an accidental happiness, To make that work and get us, the WWE viewer, to care about NXT. I know that might sound strange, but there is a big portion of regular WWE audience that does not know these NXT guys. But you might not know that from watching the show because everybody's like, oh, NXT, you're my guy. Yeah, you're awesome. I've never seen you wrestle. Okay, like I know who you are. I'm aware of who you are, but I don't know shit about you because I don't watch NXT all the time. But they salvaged the show with the pieces that they had, and made it moderately entertaining. Now, when I say the most reasonable excuse for this flight delay, let's circle back to that. A plane malfunction, you know, shit can happen, okay? However, unconfirmed rumor and innuendo, and unconfirmed means there was wrestlers that were like stranded that hinted at this, but didn't just outright say it, So Saudi Arabia pays WWE a bunch of fucking money to come over there and say, hey, look, welcome to Saudi Arabia. We are based out of America, but we're cool with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they've been murdering motherfuckers, like, by order of the president or the prince or the leader, Uh, And they'll just execute you for no fucking reason. If you're a chick and you show more than your fucking hand, or if you're a dude and you happen to say something negative, like it's a little hot over here, they'll chop your fucking head off and have been doing it since the beginning of time. But we're trying to change now. We're going to at least, like, hear part of your excuse before we execute you, maybe. We're trying to do better, and we have a vision called Saudi Arabia something bullshit 2030, which means we still want to kill some motherfuckers for like 11 more years and like suppress a bunch of people, but then by that point, maybe we'll get over it and get it out of our system. A lot of American companies obviously uh, said, no, you're still fucking propaganda. You're not going to bribe us even though you're all fucking oil rich. We won't take your money because we have morals. Enter Vince McMahon. He's like, well, how much money are we talking So this deal, the reason WWE does shows over there, is because they get paid. And the reason you see Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Undertaker and Goldberg and Shawn Michaels and all these fuckers that don't need to be wrestling anymore is because they're getting paid, okay? Well, here's the problem. Apparently, the Saudi Arabia people who are in charge of doing the paying weren't actually paying. According to the rumor, Vince McMahon was like, Hey, that direct deposit ain't hit yet. I'm supposed to be getting $50 million in my bank account. Fuck this. We're going to cut their feed. And so if you were in Saudi Arabia and were not at the stadium to watch the show, you essentially got blacked out, okay? You couldn't see the show. That pissed off some people. So there might have been some Saudi Arabia motherfuckers go, hey, Vince, what the fuck? And Vince goes, no, nah, motherfucker, what the fuck? You, you pay me. You ain't gonna do shit. And so, apparently, they got their money and everything worked out okay. Now, that story is the story I want to believe because it's more awesome, but because it's not really 100% confirmed, you kind of have to go with the plane fucked up until you know better. And... These things were denied, these rumors and wild stories were denied by people who like, actually matter, Vince McMahon, because, well, you know what he did. So this whole show was relatively entertaining to watch. But then, we got people stuck on the plane. Then we may have had a disagreement with the people that are supposed to pay you, aka the Saudi Arabia government. We might have then, in retaliation, had our guys sit on a plane for seven hours because it was a standoff. You pay me. Nope, I'm not paying you. Fuck you. You're going to sit here. Your plane's messed up. Wink, wink. And so while we're having this dick measuring contest, you've got everybody who's ever fought for the United States Tag Team or Intercontinental or Women's Championship ever sitting on a goddamn plane for hours just waiting for it to end. They're all fucking miserable. They don't want to be at Saudi Arabia. And then, oh, by the way, have to try to rush back to SmackDown in Buffalo. So they're pissed. They don't want to go to Saudi Arabia. The reason you don't see these really big stars like John Cena and The Rock over in Saudi Arabia is because they've got, like, actual careers outside of wrestling. They will ask their agent, hey, Saudi Arabia has offered me a bunch of money. And before they even finish the sentence, their agent will go, no don't do that it'll kill your career that's wrestling shit they do that but you have these people who have already said no for like murders and shit now you got people who are like why are we fucking here we were in a battle royal that was fucking five minutes long six hours ago and now we're sitting on a plane for an additional seven hours this sucks fuck this they don't want to go And there's a lot of talent that's, like, speaking up about it. You know, the Rusevs and the revivals of the world. Okay. And so, you think WWE goes, man, we're having these plane issues. We have talent that's unhappy. Is this money really worth it? You know, Vince is worth a couple billion already, and the stock isn't what it was earlier this year. But considering it's a wrestling company, I mean a media and entertainment company, it's doing okay. You think they'll go, man, fuck this. Like, fuck Saudi Arabia. We got your money a couple times, but we ain't fucking with this no more. Nope. They did the opposite. WWE responded to this shit show by quote unquote extending its agreement with Saudi Arabia for an additional five years worth of shows and couple shows a year, most likely. And according to reports, even though Saudi Arabia might have been behind on the payments, they caught it up real quick and even paid them in advance for the next couple shows. And everything's fine and dandy. Well, this is a desperate attempt for WWE to show its stockholders that everything's fine. Because on the same day as this show came the third quarter report and these projections for how much money WWE was going to make and these projections for how much you know TV revenue and you know good publicity and everything going well for WWE it was projected at one point to be pretty damn good and then WWE fell short somewhat significantly short for stock terms of the projections and expectations which cause people to freak out and start selling their stock. So that means that the company itself is not as valuable. That means Vince McMahon on the stock market can lose hundreds of millions of dollars worth his net worth because if the stock is up, he's worth more. If the stock crashes, he's worth less. Okay, It's not about cash in your wallet. It's about how much you're worth. And stocks weren't looking so good. But one thing that could really help the stocks is big old fat checks from Saudi Arabia. But one thing that hurt those stocks was that apparently they weren't getting paid so there was a question mark it was like oh well here is roughly 50 million dollars of money we're pretty sure is coming and we were gonna count on this report so it made our numbers look better but we can't technically count it because we didn't actually get it yet but don't worry guys it's coming that makes people who want to invest money in that company go uh no thank you so what happened is when the money actually came There was an extension, in quotations, of the agreement, despite the original agreement, a few years ago, being scheduled to run through 2027. Essentially, the word extension is just bullshit. Because the original agreement, unless one of the parties, WWE or Saudi Arabia, pulled out of it, was to go through 2027 or 28. But WWE spun it and said, hey, despite our rumored troubles that we had, it was really just a plain issue. Everything was okay, so we're going to extend our agreement because we're that confident in Saudi Arabia. Jesus Christ, if it's that fucking difficult to put on a goddamn wrestling show, fucking put the wrestling show on somewhere else although i must admit pay-per-views during the day are fucking cool because i was still able to dress up as the fiend who won the universal championship now i brought my wwe championship i don't have a universal championship yet i will one day but i don't but you know it's dark we're trick-or-treating it's just it's a fucking belt it's the belt okay so i was able to dress as the guy who won the fucking belt. And it was awesome. And you should go look at it on Instagram and Facebook at the five-star show because I put a lot of effort into it and painted the mask for like three weeks and got like two likes. I even did a dance and choreography. Uh, but anyways, you can go check that out. So that was the shit show. The highs, mostly lows. But in the end, it's all worked out right. Of WWE. And apparently they also fixed the video game. I haven't played it, but apparently it's fixed. So that's your wrestling. Instead of an hour, we hit 18 minutes. And that's how we close this episode of the five-star show, episode 41. I hope you enjoyed it much more than you did the previous one, because the previous one, I really enjoyed it. But I looked at the plays, and it was the worst one of the year, so... Uh I'm supposed to make shows that you like, not shows that I like. So I hope you guys like this one. You've been listening to The Five Star Show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and the TheFiveStarshow.com. We'll see you next week, hopefully. For 10 years, all the way to 87. And by this point, he's transforming his image. Oh my God! God! I went to throw something at you and I spilled my beer all over my computer. Please clean this. Okay, okay. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God.
0: What's going on, everybody? It's the five shows. (laughs) That's right.
1: How are you doing, Kinsley? Good. And what have you done today?
0: Have fun.
1: Yeah? And who's number one?
0: Me and mommy and grandma and Olivia and socks.
1: Okay, so you've got a five-way tie for one that includes an animal that makes Daddy's ears bleed when you bang your fingers like that, because it hits the microphone and it goes don 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 in my ears. Mm. And you're probably gonna do it again because you think it's funny, but it's not funny. And then, so you have number ones including grandmas, kittens, unborn babies, and mamas. They're all equal. So who's number two?
0: The boys.
1: The boys? Well, I'm a boy.
0: Or you're two. Ah, I don't want to be two. You have to be two. Why do I have to be two? Because, see, two.
1: How old is your daddy? Two. Two? And then you put the number three in front of that and you get the number thirty-two. Now, how old is your mama? One. One million. That's right. Mama's one million years old. Hey, come over here and tell everybody what you want for Christmas, just in case Santa happens to listen to the five-star show.
0: I want a baby alive, and a popper Show Lookout Tower, and a Pikachu.
1: What was the thing we saw on TV that you liked while we were eating the cereal? There was uh, the alpaca.
0: Alpaca. What's it called? Alpaca.
1: Paca, paca, alpaca. And then there was the sand, remember?
0: And kinetic sand.
1: Kinetic sand, yeah. Anything else that you would like for Christmas?
0: Uh A baby life and... Bobber, lookout tower, and the Pikachu.
1: All right. Now, just in case Santa happens to listen to this episode, uh, have you been a good girl? Well, you, you want to talk to Santa. Is there anything you want to say to him?
0: Uh huh.
1: What do you want to say to Santa?
0: Get me some presents.
1: That is probably not the correct way to phrase it. What I would say is, Santa, I'm gonna be a good girl, and I hope that you bring me a present or two.
0: So no, good boy. And I'm going to
1: say, and I'm a good girl. All right. Well, come over here and tell everybody goodbye.
0: Goodbye, everyone. i see you later.
1: And what are they listening to?
0: To the You're listening to the fire show stuff.
1: That's right. Chance, no hockey for you. But thanks for listening to the show and taking that L in fantasy. Okay, a little hockey. I think those Preds jerseys for the Winter Classic are pretty cool. But that's it. No more hockey. Bye. See you next week.